everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Crime at the Family Table, episode three uh, for season, are we on four? Yes. Yeah. Oh my, oh my gosh, it's been so long. Oh my gosh. All right, and, and first things first, guys, we're so sorry for last week. It was some busyness with like um, researching and like changing of the cases, like things like that. So you know, we are so sorry. And again, we appreciate your patience all the time. Yeah, so we were season... <laughs> Why doesn't it say? Oh, season four, episode three. Yes. That's where we're at. We're at season four, episode three. Yeah. So we're, you know, we're trucking along right now. Uh, Alyssa, how have you been? I have been very good. This weekend, I saw a comedy show. Uh, Kevin mm-hmm. and Tony Baker, they did the Bald Brothers tour. Um, <laughs> so I got to see that. I got to do the VIP and actually meet them and take pictures. So it was really cool. I got to tell Kev how long I've been watching him since 2012. He was like, oh, we were funnier back then. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I wanted to be like your brother was my favorite one. His brother passed away, um, oh. I think last year. But I was like, uh, yes, like, he did. Yes, he did. Like, I don't. Oh, wanna... that's crazy. Yeah. So it was great. Had a good, had a good weekend. Got to spend a couple of hours without the kid. Actually, a whole day without the kids. So it was great. Listen, what? listen. Sometimes a break is necessary to get <sighs> the mind right to recalibrate. To be to center self away from your other title of mother because that is a part of your existence, not the whole of who you are. I want another break, (laughs) but (laughs) here we well, well, you know we have our wedding season coming up, so like it's it's a lot happening. Fall wedding season, we have someone very special to us whose wedding is coming up in October. So we're going to be dressed fabulously and have a fabulous time. Shout out to Shanata. Love you, girl. The Austin wedding. I'm so happy. Listen, I'm super excited for this. Like, one, um, I'm so ready to get cute and whatever. And But then also, like, a few months after that, planning for my 30th birthday. And all of that. Our little baby is turning 30. Yes, I am joining the 30 Club. And it's crazy, too, because I remember when you joined the 30 Club, we was still working at Oz. Oh, <laughs> and that was crazy. But now that we're free, um, we definitely, listen, It's I'm finally crossing that rainbow bridge over to 30, slowly but surely. Uh, I can't wait. Let me know what we're doing. Unless it's a vacation. Uh, Go. <laughs> well, well, no, it'll be a party. I'll let you know. I'm gonna let you know after this. <laughs> to wake up the pot about everything. And speaking of which, actually, for the birthday party, it is going to be kind of. It's going to be a decade theme. It's going to be seventies disco studio fifty four. Let me get my my best Donna Summer hair. Together. Oh, oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. I can't wait. I can't wait for the photos that I'll listen. The 
the shabam, the shazaz, the glitter, the sparkle, the festivities. Oh, I'm going to go all out. Once we're done, I'm going to Google 70s. 70s Roman. Diana Ross. That's all I got to say. Oh, period. D listen, Donna Summers, Diana Ross, Elton John. Oh my God. Grace Jones. Yes. Oh, this is going to be fun. Oh, sorry. You guys can't come. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. So, that's the plan. But also, want to give you guys an update on some. One of the true crime stories that we had went over previously. So um, at the end of last season, we had um, I had did three episodes on the Lori Vallow Daybell case or Lori Daybell Vallow, whatever way she said her name and Chad Daybell, their case of um, of basically the missing children and <laughs> the big case that went like everybody was looking for these kids. Where are the kids, Lori? Uh, what happened? And a few things I want to give an update on is that um, is that one, Lori had her trial, um, and Chad will have his trial second. So his trial is going to come up next, and at his trial, it should be in the next few weeks. But um, Lori Vallow's trial has ended, and it has ended with a guilty verdict. On all counts, she will be sentenced to, she is um, going to be sentenced to life in prison because she has been found guilty. Um, there are a couple of things that um, have to go into, like a part of this is because I guess what they're trying to say is what I kind of felt is that Lori didn't exactly maybe commit the murders. It potentially was uh, Chad and Lori's brother who has since passed on um who committed this crime together and Chad's trial will be coming up next and because they are kind of framing this case as Chad is the one who committed this crime it will be um a death penalty case on his end and and which is which is kind of like it's it's, it's kind of a lot going on so a lot going on because there's still more stuff that we have to come down and come down the pipe, um, which is which is going to be interesting. So when I saw this, uh, I was like, "What? She's been sentenced? What's happening?" Like they gonna give him the death penalty? Yikes! Right, like, and because this is quick because what they're saying is they have all the evidence. Like the kids were filmed on his property property uh jj and tylee were found on his property um the conversations that they had the planning the running away to hawaii like this is just a trial for trial sake yeah because at the end of the day it, if i was on if i was their um defense person um i would be like um hey um maybe we should plead out because and hopefully take the death penalty off the table but maybe that wasn't an option maybe it wasn't an option to take the death penalty off the table because basically they ran away all of the things were kind of found on them in a sense like like the police discovered this without having to use him like there's nothing really that he can give them at this point like once they found those bodies 
that will fix the situation. And had he maybe told first, like before they decided to run away to Hawaii, they could have, he could have gotten in front of it. So now it's kind of just like, who's going to take the death penalty? Who's going to get the needle in their arm? Yes. And with the way time takes for things, he's not going to probably get really the death penalty. Well, good luck. <laughs> that that that's all I got to say because that case was wild. So good luck to good luck to all parties involved. Godspeed, because right, like you, like like it's over. And like I think that his attorneys felt like that having the trial and him himself felt like having the trial separate would rear him better than it really is going to do. They are talking the freaking death penalty, really. Yeah, like they're not playing with this man. Like, and he just was like, you know what? F it. Um, and Lori is likely going to like, so I think that she's so she's been found competent to stand trial, but who knows how long her competence will like her ability to stay in a regular prison situation will last. It seems that her mental capacity is kind of like on a thin route. So we're, I'm sure she'll be in the news like at some point again attempting to escape or something or being uh, put into a, a more secure facility. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, sweet. Well, I think we should get into this case. <laughs> and we will definitely right. post it on further updates about the Lori and Chad case. Cause and, and also any other cases that come up too. Like any other cases that we've had from the past have been brought up uh we definitely will mm -hmm. uh keep you posted because things happen all the time so today's case <laughs> is so the original case that i was gonna do i was researching it and then out of nowhere popped up uh, the case that I'm actually going to do today for this, and it just happened to be from the 70s as well. Um, but it was actually the 50th anniversary of the disappearance of these two teenagers um, back in 1973. So mm -hmm. the case, I'd like to start with a question for you and for our lovely audience. Have you ever been to a festival or a large outdoor concert? Like Coachella? Uh no <laughs> I don't like crowds and crowds always make me feel claustrophobic also I have a fear that people are going to steal my shit because mm -hmm. we're like all on each other like it's so not and after the whole um what's what's Travis Scott situation that concert Yay. that literally set into precedent of why I do not want to do festivals <laughs> Excuse me, sorry. Thank you. It's hot in here. So I get sneezy when it's hot. So I no have problem. 
I think I went to the Roots Pick, actually worked the, no, Made in America um, one year, like as like a teenager, probably like 18, 19. I worked events for Reader's Water Ice. And one of the events they did was uh, Made in America. So I've been to that before, like random outdoor concerts, but nothing like Coachella or or like the Travis Scott would like nothing so huge. So I asked this question because this teen couple disappeared on their way to this huge festival. So you've heard of Woodstock. Yes, definitely. So Woodstock was this huge thing um, in the 60s where they would have a bunch of like musical acts. Jimi Hendrix was there um, uh, amongst other people. Um, but this particular concert in the 70s was Summer Jam. And I don't know if you've heard of Summer Jam in New York. I think it's like morphed into like a more of a hip hop situation. That's what I've always heard it. Like they New York Summer Jam is usually like hip hop artists and acts. Um, but this was 1973 in upstate New York. So um, I'll get into a little bit more about Summer Jam back then in a second. But I will begin. On the morning of July 27th, 1973, Mitchell Weiser and Bonita, Bonnie, they called her Bonnie, um, Bigwit set out for Central New York to attend one of the biggest concerts in rock history, Summer Jam 1973. And unfortunately, 50 years later, they are still missing. Um, oh. We don't know if they actually made it to the concert. Um, but that's where they were headed. So a little background on Summer Jam 1973. On July 28th, 1973, which is crazy, that's my dad's birthday. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He would have he would have been like five. He would have been like eight. Okay. But of course he was. Oh wow! Like that, like that's so interesting to realize. Like our parents really like lived through, or like were born around, like some really significant stuff. And they had no idea because they were in Philadelphia and they were eight years old. Right, um, and it wasn't like news spread. Now it was so insulated to where you were. Mm -hmm. And also, two white kids going missing. With dime a dozen, baby, dime a dozen. <laughs> I'm sorry. That that was rude, but like it was, it's like basically like that wasn't something that like the people in our lives at that time would have cared about. Like, and just like, oh, okay, because <laughs> we were going missing, <laughs> right? Um, so Summer Jam, nineteen seventy three, happened on July twenty eighth, nineteen seventy three. This was four years after Woodstock, so Woodstock was this, the huge thing, and then four years later they had Summer Jam. Um. It was at the same arena, which was a, a upstate New York racetrack. Um, the concert featured the Allman Brothers, a band called The Band, <laughs> and The Grateful Dead. Now, I think all of The Grateful Dead members are, in fact, dead. But again, working a, a event for Rita's, it was a Grateful Dead cover band. And I was like, who the heck is Grateful oh, wow. Dead? Yeah. I mean, I've heard of them in like a passing thought, not really yeah. a 
a real capacity. <laughs> Me too. So I've seen the t-shirts. I worked the event. I looked up the names of all these people's songs and I was like, mm-hmm. Nothing. <laughs> Still nothing. not clicking a bell. Still not ringing that bell. Okay. And I know random songs from all decades. And I was like, I've heard of the Allman Brothers. Don't know what you say. Maybe I could ask my mom. She might know. But um, but these were these were people back then. Like they were, they were, they were the they were the guys. So that lineup drew an estimated 600,000 people to the small town. Now, the town's population was only like 2,700 people at that point. So there's small town, 2,700 people. And then you got 600,000 people coming into town for this concert. Which is oh, cool. my God. Yeah. They actually that's, were. Uh, that's too many people. <laughs> they were not ready. Uh-huh. The sheriffs, the police department there were like, um, where all these people come from? And I heard the level of like, like diseases that potentially could have been running a rampant were insane at Woodstock. Because it was, it was definitely free love time. They were getting high and being naked. <laughs> and rolling being naked, butt naked nasties. Um, so it was so many people, it actually earned them. They got in the Guinness World Records for the most attendees at a pop music festival. Oh, my God. So Woodstock. Okay. That's, a, that's a serious title. Okay. It's crazy. So Woodstock attracted 250,000 people. Um, though it says, like, legend has it that the last, that it actually drew up to 400,000 people. But still, Summer Jams knocked them out of the park with 600,000 people. Mind you, the tickets, I think they only, the promoters had sold 125,000 tickets, which means they were sold out. <laughs> so it's only supposed to be 125,000 people there, but 600,000 ended up just swinging through. So that's 600 times. Oh my God. That's a 600% increase. Yeah. And people. <laughs> They left that's the six thousand people. The six thousand people, six hundred. Oh my god! They kind of left. They kind of like left the doors open, <laughs> so people who bought tickets went in, but then they just kind of left everything open, so people would just like like wander in. That's like them leaving the doors open to the Beyonce concert. You don't think people gonna wander in and, and get a little listen? Listen, that literally is just like what happened at uh the Travis Scott concert, like. Like, yeah, people were looking, but, like, they were just allowing so many people to come in. Like, it was just no, it was no organization. Now, back then, back then, of course, things are a little bit different. My nose is running, Um, Mm y'all. Things were a little bit different because, you know, it was the 70s. I think people probably cooperated a little bit more (laughs) and had a general sense of, like, we're here for the show, let's chill out. And a lot of them were probably high. It was the 70s. <laughs> so they were probably real mellowed out. It was a lot of hippies there. So it was like, he's free love, man. Um, so free love. Let's just get let's just get with it. So they were pretty chill. So you can imagine how many people were there. So the tickets to the concert cost 10 bucks. That included parking. 
And even though it was only like a one day event, um, it included camping too. So you could like camp out there. Like Coachella. For $10. 10 US American dollars. Coachella might cost you like a thousand. The times have changed. So, <laughs> so like I said, it was already a huge success. So the organizers just left the gate the gates open. And that's when the other 400,000 plus people just kind of sashayed into it. Um, which completely like stopped the town. Because yeah. that little 2,700 people, it paralyzed the town. Um, but there were no like violent crimes happening. It was like little misdemeanors. Like um, I think that it was like some drunk driving stuff, but nobody got hurt and there was no like violent crimes that happened. Like petty stuff. Maybe they were just too high. That's what they were saying. People was drunk and high. <laughs> so they, just to give you a little background on Mitchell and Bonnie, they were both from Brooklyn. Um, they met at John Dewey High School. Now, John Dewey High School was not like the neighborhood school. Like it was an experimental thing. So it was like a school for gifted kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, Mitchell was there. He was in the 11th grade and Bonnie was a year younger in the 10th grade. Um, Bonnie wanted to be in this school so she thought it was a neat idea so she actually wrote a letter to the principal and the principal ended up accepting her and framing the letter. So, I'm like, how good was this? This letter must have been top of the notch because whatever letter... Top, top of the line. She, he framed it. Um, so that just speaks to what type of student she was, but she was very, uh, her friend, her friend, I think her name was Michelle. She described her as like outspoken and just really just like a cute, bubbly, nice, well-liked girl. Her and Mitchell were very well-liked and she would play ping pong with her friend. Of course she loved Mitchell. Um, they would like go to Bonnie's house and like bake things. It was a real cute time. Now, Mitchell was, um, he was really into photography. Of course, he was really into Bonnie. He loved baseball and he loved the Grateful Dead. He loved that band so much. He named his, jo- his dog, I believe it was his dog. Yes. After the song, Casey Jones. So he named his dog Casey Jones. Um, <laughs> And oh, so he really loved them. Like, I mean, I've heard of people naming their kids after like bands that they love. Absolutely. So, but your dog, that's some serious stuff. But he was seen by his friends as like fearless, a bit of a rebel, but he wasn't like a bad boy. Like, he was still a good kid. So they get into the school, they meet each other. They're sweethearts. They fall in love. Um, they weren't unruly kids, like I said. They were serious. They were serious about their education and their families. They came from stable, loving, Jewish households, um, middle class. So they they had like good lives for all intents and purposes. Um, so in the summer of 1973, Mitchell's friend Larry bought two tickets to Summer Jam because he's like, oh, bro, me and you are going to go to Summer Jam. 
Larry's mom wasn't having it. She was like, it's going to be dangerous. Like, I'm forbidding you from going. So that knocks Larry out. Mitchell's mom was also like, I don't want you to go either because I'm afraid for your safety and you only got $25 in your pocket. Like, I don't, you know, he was right. afraid about hitchhiking. But Mitchell... And hitchhiking, like, that was, like, such a huge thing. Like, if people think Ubering and lifting is weird, hitchhiking was, like, the Uber and Lyft of its time. Yep. It said no safety measures and no way of tracking where you are. Just raw dog in life. And of course, back then they didn't have any cell phones. There was no way to be like, hey, mom, I'm in this random man's car. So just so you know where I'm at, like there was with the license plate four or five, like what, like nothing, like nothing. So you're taking a chance. So, um, so Larry couldn't go. So Mitch was like, cool, I'm gonna take Bonnie because I want to spend more time with her anyway. Um, so his mom, he was more persistent. So his mom was like, she kind of didn't have a choice. He just kind of flew out the door and she wanted to give him extra money. Cause like I said, he only had $25. So she wanted to give him extra money, um, but he just left so quickly. She never got the chance to give him any more. So he only has 25 bucks leaving out of here. Now, back then that was, that was money uh, enough to do something, but. Right. Like that was like, you could 25, you could do a little something back then. 20 something. Not got him he used the money for it. he bought a bus ticket to narrowsburg and uh he got a taxi to the campsite to meet bonnie so 25 hours did a lot <laughs> at that point right a bus ticket you can't listen that can barely 25 can barely get you to work and back home and get you lunch and so that can barely do that and i'm talking septa listen so Bonnie was actually working. Oh, at, just so you know, the uh $25. Oh, my bad, not $19.60. Sorry. Hold up one second. $73. Okay. No, so, no, so I'm just gonna say in the 70. So because it was early 70, so this is probably about about right. So $25 is the equivalent if we did the tax formation to, to almost $200, $196.59 today. Oh, so he had a little piece of change. A little piece of something. So he takes his little money, he gets on his little bus, and meets Bonnie at Camp Wellmet. Now, she was up there working with, I'm not, they didn't really specify. I don't know if she's working with, like, other, I think it was, like, kind of like a getaway for teens and, like, older kids. Um, so she was there. She was working. And he met her there. Now, Mitch's older sister, Susan, says she knows he made it to the camp because she called to confirm it. So I know he got there and I know he left, is what she said. So he gets there. In the meantime, Bonnie asks her boss, she's like, okay, you know, I got these tickets to this concert. Can I have the weekend off to go? And the boss says no. And Bonnie was oh. like, oh, word, <laughs> I quit then. So like period, period. So stand on your stand on your principles. Go on, have fun. You only young one. Listen, uh, true words were never spoken. So she is like, oh, okay, I quit. Come on, Mitch. Let's bounce. But before she 
<laughs> I don't know what they she probably was like, let's go giddy up. I don't know what they said. In the <laughs> no, I like your first one better because it was like, yeah, girl, like we out, we brought it, don't worry. <laughs> right. So Bonnie basically told her boss, she was like, listen, I'm gonna come back after the concert and I'm gonna pick up my clothes and my check. <laughs> Run me my coins when I get back. Right, because I'm coming for my money. <laughs> So her and Mitch leave. Um, and on the morning of July 27th, they start their journey to the show. The show was 155 miles northwest from where they were in Narrowsburg. So they were both wearing blue jeans and t-shirts. And Michael had uh, his camera, because I say he was into photography, so he had a really expensive camera. Um, with him he also had a gray and olive green plaid flannel shirt so they leave they but before they left they had breakfast at the camp and then they left um they were last seen hitchhiking along state route 97 which is a 70 mile stretch of road that cut through the camp so all we know is a truck driver picked them up they thanked him after and he dropped them off Okay, we would be in like Connecticut or somewhere in like Virginia. We could be in Shippensburg, PA. It's the equivalent of going to Shippensburg, PA. How far they went. Yeah. That's a nice little. How long did they go? Like two, three hours? That's a couple hours drive. That's a couple hours drive. A couple hours yeah. drive. So they, you know, they found a trucker. They were outside with their with their sign that said Watkins Glen, and that's that was the place that they were going for the concert. Um, so they were out there with their little signs in their sleeping bags, and they got picked up by this uh, truck driver. And then that was the last they were. The truck driver said to Lou, and that was the last time they were ever seen. Unfortunately, wow. so. This case, it, it gets it gets choppy because it's just because I'm like, how how how, how wait, what? So how no do, one seen them since. Mm -mm. How do a 15 and 16 year old just end up missing and nobody knows nothing? Right, nobody seen hot nor hair of them. Nope. So on on was it Monday? I think it was Sunday, July 30th. The camp called Bonnie's mom, Ray, to let her know that Bonnie never came back. Because you know she was supposed to come back for her check and her clothes. Right. So they were like, uh, she never came back to pick up her stuff. So they're like, okay, that's weird. And then when Mitch didn't come home that Sunday, that Monday, Mitch's father and his older sister Susan drove from Brooklyn to Watkins Glen and that was a five hour drive. So they met the county police, which I think is the Sullivan, the Sullivan or the Schuler County Police. They have like a, a few different like um police departments that were involved, but I think it's the Sullivan County is where they ended up. They met the county police, they gave them pictures. They even went to like a gorge at Watkins Glen and they screamed like Bonnie bitch just in case like they were thinking maybe they were hurt and they were there and just in case they could be like oh we're here help we found right that's what smart that's that was smart because that definitely could be a potential that during the way they got hurt like they could have one got dehydrated anything could happen. Mm -hmm. 
fell and stumbled into the gorge and now they're all broke up can't get out or somebody hit their head so they went there looking um and unfortunately the police department was no help at all um of course. so the parents immediately they went into action uh they started passing out like flyers i mean like hundreds of flyers they were passing out they placed ads in underground newspapers they hired a private investigator. They, I mean, they was they was law and order. They visited hippie communes to see if they were there. They went to Native American reservations. They called some. Um, they they even went undercover. Cause you know it was the 70s. So I mean it was cults on cults on cults. You was in a commune or you was in a cult. <laughs> so yeah, true, true. Like, yeah, that was their favorite line to do. Like. Cause you went out to the desert and you met some hippie motherfuckers and they done got you sniffing the herb, <laughs> and now you you pray into a moonstone and you can't leave. And Starflower wants to spoon you. Yes, they went there to the moon. Oh, they called them the Moonies. What was that man's church? The first, the first church. The, I can't think of it. But they went to a popular to two like popular cults under like the sister went in undercover to see if anybody knew anything and nobody knew anything. They hadn't heard anything about Mitch or Bonnie. So they was, I mean, they was doing detective work. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Cause that's like, honestly, if, if I was them, that would be definitely something that I would think about as a detective, because especially during that era, cults were very common. Exactly. And everybody wanted freedom, and they're young, and so they're susceptible, and all types of stuff. You would think they would go with some something because they really had no leads, but they didn't. Unfortunately, um, they had no leads. They the police actually kept writing it off as them being run runaways, like oh they're two because um, I think earlier that summer. They exchanged rings and they would call each other spouse and they had like a little, you know, like a little wedding, a fake little wedding ceremony. But it was like cutesy teenage stuff. Um, but their friends were like they and their older siblings were like they would not have run away. Like they had no money. They had no like, money for what? They didn't need to. They're I think their families liked each other for the most part. It's not like they were forbidden from seeing each other. They were both good kids from good families went to a great school so there was nothing you know nothing wrong like they checked off all the boxes of like why the hell would they leave home like in reality i'm pretty sure their parents like like i mean it's it's just it's just weird because even if it was something going on i just don't feel like their parents would even let them go to that concert together exactly that would have been in an interview done with the family like oh we forbade them to see each other then you can start your you can even get your police work going off of that but right nothing so it was known that mitch was kind of like upset with the family because they couldn't afford to send him to like an out-of-state college that he really wanted to go to and bonnie's father mm -hmm. was like sick and he was disabled at the time so they had some stuff going on but they weren't like it's so bad we want to run away type of thing right like it's stuff that they could have figured out one because he's 16 like so it's not like he's 
you know, off the college in like two months. Like they have time to talk about this, process it, think about other options, th things that could have blew over. Exactly. So the police were just, I mean, fumbles McGee. They were just fumbling the ball. Um, I did want to say they, did I want to say this? So as far as the police were concerned, the parents pushed for them to, um, you know, put out a bulletin because back then there was no Amber Alert yet. That wasn't a thing. Um, there wasn't even like the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children wasn't a thing until the 80s. Um, right. The milk cartons uh, the, with the missing kids on the back wasn't a thing until the, the mid 80s. So like the database that they have now for, with all the missing persons in it didn't exist yet. So they were just, wow. yeah. So they had- Like to think like these, these are pretty, even though they're pretty old, these are modern things like to some people, like it, how many p kids went under the radar without any type of national alert? It was the police messed up so bad. I will I'm gonna get back to that real quick. So as far as like the investigation, like I said, they barely investigated. They kept dismissing it as two young hippie lovers that like ran away together. Um they didn't follow up with the parents. There was no action. Like the the dad knew somebody from the newspaper and the newspaper I think it was the Daily News, like the or the New York Times. They like wrote a letter, basically, like y'all really messed up. Like we were dismissed constantly. They didn't put out a bulletin. They didn't follow up with the parents, um, even though Mitch's father like requested that they put this out there. It was a lot of it was a lot of media coverage, but even that didn't go anywhere. They never alerted the other police departments across the state even though they told the father that they would. Because mm -hmm. it's quite possible they could be in that area. Like, that they could, like, they probably didn't leave the actual area for real, for real. It's possible that somebody could have them and, and just have them there. Yeah, so they were in upstate New York. They didn't notify, you know, NYPD, because they were in Sullivan County. Where they oh, went. okay. They didn't, the Sullivan County police didn't like contact NYPD. They didn't contact like the other police departments across the state. So like mm -hmm. if I went missing, they would contact like Montgomery County. They would contact probably Delaware County, like put it across certain th or different uh, counties in Pennsylvania to just to collaborate if I went missing in a different right. state, but because here's another thing like people don't consider even from our modern times now like we take pictures like all the time and and one of the things is is like so you can be like oh like Latanya stopped taking pictures around this time or she stopped posting on Instagram at this time or her cell like like the use of a cell phone is so beneficial as much as it annoys people and as much as people think it is the most nauseating thing for you to have it is super essential to have because it it, it can really save your life it can just save your life and they had 
nothing. So the parents had given up the dental records for the two kids. They were lost. Not a copy. The only copy of their dental records that they had, period. So it's not like they could have looked them up in the computer. There was still a paper copy. They got their only copy. And I was like, why did you just make a copy? But as far as like fax machines, I mean, not fax machines, like copy machines and all that, I don't know if that was a thing yet, but their only copy of the kids' dental records were given to the police and they lost them. They lost their the kids' whole file. Oh, no. So that literally means that they, like, unless they find someone where in which they could do, like, like, they couldn't even do DNA. Like, there's no, there's no way of knowing. Like, that even means, like, you're saying it's been 50 years since this has happened, so that means even now there wouldn't be any information on them in the system. There's no... And one of the, so this case has been handed to different detective after different detective over the course of the 50 years. One of the detectives, actually, I think it was like two of them were like, yeah, we really, like we dropped the ball. And I think the last detective who is also dead, because there are quite a few of them that are dead now. um, He was like, we didn't even enter their, like when the database came about, we didn't even enter their names into the FBI database. And I was like, what the? So it's as if, like, it just didn't matter. Like, the kids didn't exist. <laughs> like, And their parents were like, y'all really keep dismissing us and we're telling you, like, can you investigate this? And they're, they just was like... Yeah, we'll get to it. Or no. Like, it's just like, what? Just and, how can you, and how can you trust the police in this situation? Like, how, how do you trust the police to help you? And, they and I think it came from a place of just, like, they don't believe that these kids are really legitimately missing no they thought they had two little two sweethearts they ran away so it was just like hit after hit after hit they just were not nothing was happening so i did want to speak to some of the forensic advancements in the 1970s so by 1975 the u.s supreme court got rid of the federal rules of evidence um, which basically the rule stated that scientific evidence must be deemed relevant and not prejudicial for presentation in any criminal case. So two years later, the FBI began to use computerized scans of fingerprint cards um, in their automated fingerprint identification system or APHIS, um, which is if you... Uh, if you commit a crime, your fingerprints are automatically in the identification system in the database so that if they run your prints, your po- your photo will pop up. And any if your prints are in any other thing in the database, it'll like connect you to your fingerprints, basically. But they, As they should. <laughs> so they did away with um, like things like polygraph tests. I think at that point they were like, we can't really totally rely on these witnesses like eyewitness statements um, because people can be tampered with. So they basically said those types of evidence, uh, that type of evidence must be relevant and not like um, like uh, prejudicial for actually being used in case. And like I said, there was no missing persons database at this point. It was just like, this person is missing. We'll put up a flyer. 
or um, put a bulletin out, which was basically them calling the radio system, like describing what's going on to all the cops um, that are connected. But there was no Amber Alert where we can all get on our phones or it'll pop up on the TV. So things have changed significantly. Enough bad had to happen for those things to be put into place, unfortunately. Um, but it, it just, it was just like, this is, this is wild. Of course, they started the DNA profiling and blood analysis. They started perfecting those methods, um, which helped with, uh, identifying suspects and, um, victims as well. So, like I said, unfortunately, throughout the, the course of like 25 years or so, um, they had nothing. The case just went completely cold uh, until I believe something happened in 1998 where they picked the case. The case was given to somebody else and they dropped the ball again. Um, they It just seemed like they just weren't interested in investigating through any time period. Um, but over the course of decades, they have developed some theories um, there have been some people who have come out and um, contacted them to say certain things. So fast forward in 2000, when uh, the New York governor was Elliot Spitzer, he actually got the case mm-hmm. reopened um, because the high school, Dewey, John Dewey High School, the classes, I think of 74 and 75, put together a memorial for them. So there's like a little plaque at the school with their names on it. And I think it says, we miss you or, or something like that, you know, like gone but never forgotten. So they put a memorial together for them, for their class. And I guess it got the attention of the governor. He's like, hey, let's reopen this and see what's going on. Mind you, this is New York in the year 2000. Like the advancements one in science have been crazy, but the- but the years that have gone by for this case is even crazier. <laughs> and then, wild. like, shortly after this case gets reopened, I think one of the two of the, the officers assigned to the case were reassigned to something else because the 9-11 happens. The attack of on the towers. So at that point, all hands on deck, we're not even concerned about this cold case from 25 years ago um their focus had to go into something else but he reopens the case and this man comes forward now allegedly this man was like watching tv because i think they made it onto msnbc they made it on like a true crime series or something and this man is watching tv with his wife and he's like oh my god i think i know them um so he calls and he steps forward and claims that he basically watched Bonnie and Mitchell drown uh, in a river on their way back from the concert. So he says that they were all hitchhiking. They all got into like a VW bus, um, a Volkswagen bus, and they stopped to cool off because it was super hot. I don't know. I don't think, I guess they didn't have air conditioning cars back then. Probably not. That makes sense. Um, so they were hot and it was in the middle of it was like towards the end of July so it was super hot they stopped to cool off at a nearby river 
allegedly bonnie fell in and you know she screamed like the guy was like i heard her scream she apparently fell in mitchell came to like jumped in and saved her and apparently they got swept away um but they were still alive but they got swept away downstream and this <laughs> i don't know how bless you i don't know how i feel about this <laughs> They were in Pen so the and the man said that the Volkswagen had Pennsylvania tags like license plate or whatever. And I think I think they might have been in Pennsylvania at that point. But was it the Schuylkill River they said? Not the Schuylkill. Oh my God. Not the Schuylkill. But they were, I guess it was at a place where the river was like, if it if it was like a storm, it would move real fast. I don't know. So I mean, yeah, that makes sense. I've seen it. Like, if it's like a little stormy out, like the river does go, like water does, it just gets quicker. Like it, it gets quicker and it gets deeper. Especially depending on how deep. And if you don't have your footing already, you can get swept up. But here's here's the thing: the man who was, of course, a younger man back then was a. He had just got. I think he had just got out of the navy. Like he was like a a navy, like a person in the navy. So people were like, sir, so you just stood there and watched them as they drink. You're in the Navy. You definitely know how to swim and you definitely know how to rescue people in the water. You did so you just stood there and did nothing. He said, uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep, that's what I did. That's, I, I decided it wasn't my business. Like that's just what he decided. Like, what, sir? They you better off keeping that to yourself. They were like, okay, and you didn't say anything. So he was like, yeah, like I was smoking weed. So I didn't want anything to do with the cops. Um, and he said the drive, like they all got back in and went wherever they were going and the driver. Yeah, but but no, no, no. This isn't about you contacting the cops. This is about you saving the kids. Listen. <laughs> like, sir, sir, sir. We, you actually could have just not called the cops, saved them, and no one would have none the fucking wiser. He didn't want to do none of that. So his um, his story was never really verified. And I think um, later on when they reopened it again, he declined. Because they did an article in Rolling Stones magazine and he declined the interview. So, and I can see why, because they probably made him feel like fucking shit. <laughs> like, he probably was like, yeah, I'm not bleeding. I'm not going to become a bleeding heart today. Because y'all going to talk about <laughs> Like you <laughs> making me feel like shit after I came up 28 years later. Like, yes, yes, sir. You saw two people drown and you said nothing. So allegedly the driver was like, okay, I'm gonna call the police. Like when we get where we're going, I'm gonna call the police and make an anonymous like report or whatever. But so he told them that, like, yeah, the guy said he was gonna make an anonymous call about it and um which also shady? What y'all doing? <laughs> what y'all doing? Because hitchhiking was not illegal. But what y'all doing? That shady. That y'all don't want to immediately call the police. Right. Like something don't sound right. Something don't sound right. But he said he was call the police. So the guy was like, "Yeah, shouldn't it? Wouldn't there be like a phone record of that? They look ain't no record of a call me." Right. So like mm, something about this sounds like somebody wanted a. 10 seconds of fame and that's what they were like 
we think he just made the whole thing up. <laughs> like, yeah, like, like, he was bored. He probably still doing the drugs. <laughs> like, bruh, nothing in this story makes you sound like a good person. And he was like, they never mentioned their name. He just remembers a couple that fit the description. And he did say that the, the girl had like a scarf on or whatever. And the older mm -hmm. sister was like, well, Bonnie was known to wear like a scarf, like a bandana around her mm -hmm. head. So it's- I mean, it, but that also was common back in the day too. Like there's like loads of pictures, especially like, yeah, it's just loads of pictures. Like you have your hair out your face, you put a bandana on. Yeah, but it's like also- even if he was in the even if he was in the bus, the Volkswagen bus with them, that whole extra part of the story, it's like you probably made that up. Even if you did remember them 25 years later, like maybe you did come across them, but that whole thing. I don't feel, I don't I believe that the capacity in which you're saying that, like yeah. This the, the it feels a little fraudulent. Like I'm like, because I'm looking, I'm like, it just feels too much, it feels too much like one, that just doesn't feel right. Like, bruh, these many years later, you must be out your mind. Unless you did something to them. And then, and then you want to insert yourself. But then you would insert yourself earlier. You wouldn't have waited 28 years. So it's like, okay, bro. But, um, they think he made that up. And then was there something else about that guy? Why did my brain just stop? So then there was another thing where Mitch had his camera with him. Mm -hmm. So kind of like, where's the camera? Because there were, you know, there was film in the camera, so it could potentially be retrieved. I don't know. He had taken pictures or whatever. So the police were like, okay, maybe the camera got taken or it got eventually was given to a get as a gift by someone so maybe somewhere there's a roll of film like with pictures of Bonnie on it or pictures of whatever they were doing you know that he took pictures of at the time and that could be potential evidence but of course they never they didn't recover the camera uh, there were some horror theories oh that's what it was going back to uh the drowning thing so they're like well usually because of the gas that happens in the side of a body bodies will float to the top of the right body. that's how bodies are found at all points yeah so like... they're we didn't find nobody like there was never any bodies discovered and they're like okay it's a possibility that because of the current maybe they got swept into another state but there was no record of like a you know like a jane doe john doe that happened to to wipe up and now we don't have the dental records they're skeletons at this point i'm sorry if they are no longer with us they're skeletons at this point right identified by medical record their dental records but the cops so the big the big possibility to me is that the, it is more likely that like even if they were found they could have been found like years ago but there's no records for them so they could be in a in a um pauper's grave or like a, a poor man's grave in any city like they could be anywhere yep. anywhere that, that river was flowing right but they didn't even follow up with that so there was another 
theory, which honestly is like, y'all need to really follow up on this one, guys. Um, and we'll pull it up because it's it's a little long and I want it to be exact. So in 2013, two years um, after that particular, the uh, Sullivan County Detective Cyrus Barnes he was given the case. And at that point, it was it was 40 years old at that point. And Mitchell and Bonnie are actually the oldest missing persons case ever, like in, in American history. Wow. Yeah. Um, which is insane. So Cyrus Barnes receives an, a phone call from a 50-year-old, a 51-year-old woman in Florida. Florida. How we go from New York to Florida, you say? So there were, and there still is, like those psychic mediums that kind of come in and out in some cases, especially super unsolved ones, and sometimes they just kind of stumble upon things. He basically was telling them, like, um, basically Mitchell and, and Bonnie were dead and that they were murdered by, like, a, a war vet. Um, and that he... His name was like Will or um, like a W name, like Will or Willie or Wayne. So they they never found. It's like, is it? This is gonna be Wayne Gacy, but they never found um, this Wayne person or whatever. So getting back to this lady, uh, this woman in Florida says she grew up with her parents and siblings in the town of Wayne. Now, mind you, the medium said this like years before, and now it's 2013, and this lady randomly calls from Florida, and she's like, yeah, I grew up in the town of Wayne, about, and it's 20 miles from Watkins Glen, where the concert was. Okay. So she told the detective she believed that her father was involved in Mitchell's murder. Mm. So when she was uh, about 11 years old, she was with her father at a restaurant when she like went up to a boy sitting at a table and asked him his name. And he said it was Mitchell. So she remembered that he was uncomfortable and agitated. I don't know what that was about, but that was her memory. So because of this information, the detective at state police and the Steuben County Sheriff's Office for assistance with the investigation um, and that would include like getting digging equipment, sonar, cadaver sniffing dogs to try and like cooperate with what she was saying. They did the excavations. The excavations turned up nothing. Where are the children? <laughs> Part four, because because where are these kids? It's so sad. Um. The detective wanted to interview the Florida woman's father because at this point he was a suspect, but they swiftly directed him to the father's lawyer. Like the father swiftly directed him to his lawyer. Um, and they basically were like, until you get some physical evidence, you're wasting your time. Especially right, because you just can't excavate like you just can't do what you want because some psychic woman say you know what poultry guys so it's like that body um and then the person of interest the father he was mm -hmm. like you can kindly speak to my lawyer 
which I'd be like, something's not right with you, sir. But um, they still don't really understand how the daughter made the connection to uh, Mitchell and Bonnie after 40 years or how she knew to contact the Sullivan County Sheriff's Office. So... Mm. Just it, it, it. still, it's, it's interesting, but some things can just be coincidences. But too many coincidences add up to some truths. There's some like accurate. There's something fishy here. Like, and and there's been cases like that before, where like people just may have memories of things, like that they may not even realize they have memories of, and they connect it to their present. Like, you know, oh, like this thing happened to me or I remember hearing this, but they don't really remember why they remember that. It's crazy. So I, I kind of believe the Florida woman and I think they should have further investigated that, but they, it kind of was thought because the guy was like, nah, I'm not talking to you. Um, so they were just kind of really only the leads, the leads that they really paid attention to was the drowning and the Florida woman. Um, she actually declined to talk for the Rolling Stones article too. It's like everybody who was coming out to say something is now mum's the word. They don't want anything to do with it. Because they feel like they're probably going to get blamed for it. Like they feel like, or they're going to be like, because basically they think that, well, we alive. So that means we can still go to prison for whatever. Like, like if they, if they didn't necessarily do something, but they believe the police might want to appoint them as people that did something, it's like, okay, but baby, more than likely at this point, we're getting to the point where like no one is going to prison for this mm-hmm. because we don't know what actually happened. It's like the it's like the, the incident with the boy in the box that was found in Philadelphia that they just found out who he was and they've connected him to a family. This family is being hush-hush because they don't want to mess anything up even though it's a potential that this little boy was murdered by his family. Was he the one that was found in the refrigerator box? Yeah. I re- that's crazy. I did uh, current events we used to have to do in school in like the fifth grade and I chose him. Crazy. I- you're, you're wild. Ben is your true crime. Ben. What was I doing? But True so- crime mind was coming into fruition. So, but yeah, like that that's what I'm saying. Like at the, at some point, like at some point y'all gonna have to realize that you might have to if tell your truth. If you know something, say something. And she was the Florida woman was eleven at the time, so it's like I don't think you helped You've no you've not murdered anyone. <laughs> like so and you were eleven at the time, so I mean how if you do know something, you tried to say something, but they declined everything, and her father, who was a suspect, he died last year. What? So gone. And then the family requested that they not be named. So that's it for that. Um. So eighteen months ago, the case was handed to another Sullivan County detective because the one before died, and like, um. I think 2021, somebody died in 2020, somebody died in 13, like, it's like all of the detectives are are going 
the kids' parents are all dead. Bonnie's mom had Alzheimer's at one point, so she fr- she even forgot Bonnie existed because she had Alzheimer's. Um, mm-hmm. And I think one of her one of Bonnie's siblings, her mom had asked, like, "Do I have kids? Like, how many kids do I have?" And when she he told her what happened, uh, and I think he was he was like, "Well, do you remember Bonnie?" And she was like, "No, but I don't like. Don't tell me because I said like I don't I don't want to remember at this point." Right. Yeah, and they do tell you when it's like when people with Alzheimer's are like, yeah, like do not tell them really tra- highly traumatic stuff like that because it distresses them and it messes up their whole day. Yeah. So she was like, okay, you don't tell me I had kids, but I don't want to, don't tell me no more. So he, he didn't, but um, this case was handed over and handed over, still, still nothing. Um, and the the guy who has it now, Detective Jack Harb, he doesn't really want to discuss the case or provide any reports. He didn't want to cooperate. Um, even Mitchell's sister, Susan, said he didn't want to cooperate um, because he feels like publicity could prompt responses from new sources that he would have to track down and investigate. So you're telling me you don't want to cooperate because you don't want no more new information that you actually want to investigate. Why? Right. Because they don't want to spend the money, the resources. Everything's about money. It's like, but isn't this your job to detect? It's not coming out of your paycheck. <laughs> like right. So um you know of course law enforcement has gotten involved missing persons experts the friends of Mitchell and Bonnie, Mitchell's friend Stewart has a website like dedicated to them. And he he's like, I'm obsessed because I know that if the shoe was on the other foot, Mitchell would have been doing the same thing I'm doing. So they are still trying to get the word out. Of course, the the hoopla around the case, like the the immediate attention has died down and it's kind of fading into people's memories, but you know, there are people, their families are like, we're still, we're never going to stop searching as long as we can. And it's just, it's just so sad, but they are, it's the 50th anniversary of the missing, which also means it's the 50th anniversary of Summer Jam. So they're thinking people coming back, maybe some of their memories will be jogged. So they're thinking like investigators should probably like talk to some of the people that were at Summer Jam. They didn't talk to anybody that was at the concert to see if they had heard anything or knew anything or saw them at summer. So we don't even know if they made it to the concert at all. Right. No, if it was, and they quite easily could it like because we don't know when in their travel this happened. Like we know none of the things. Like we know that the first truck driver, they got in with him. They got out. They said thank you, and that was the last time. He was the last person that saw them alive, allegedly. Mm. So. We don't know if after that they got it with some. They really did get in this Volkswagen bus, and then they disappeared after that. We don't. We don't know a timeline. Um. So, like I said, Mitchell would be sixty six, and Bonnie would be sixty five today if they were still alive. We don't know. I'm not going to say they're not alive. Um. Even though I know the likelihood is probably slim, and to think that if they did run away the the 
trauma that they put their families through because they were such a close knit and they were very family oriented. That's why people are like, they couldn't have run away because one, they cared about their education. So they wanted to go off to college and they couldn't have done that being runaways. Like without their parents would have had to sign some sort of paperwork at 16 and 15. So they, they wouldn't have given that up and they were really family oriented and they loved their family. So they wouldn't have wanted to worry them and put them through 50 years of torture. So the likelihood of them actually having run away together is real slim. Um, apparently they have hundreds of pages of information on them, but they didn't want to give it up. So. I mean, and, because there's, there's loads of incompetence being done here. Like there are police that like, there's records of them that are gone. It is, it is a high potential that you know they're they're out there going and you know somewhere looking to kind of to be found in a sense like and the police because of their shortcomings just won't do it and the fact of the matter is the longer this goes on the less and less people kind of care because the because their siblings will pass on and and the people in their close in their lives will not be there to really pass the word down. Yeah, because everybody, their siblings are the only ones that's left. Their parents are gone. I think Mitchell's parents, the, there was like health issues. So I think Mitchell's parents moved to Arizona in the 80s, but they still, back when there were still phone books, they paid like $3, like $2.95 a month to keep to keep their name in the phone in the in the like New York phone book. So they lived in Arizona, but just in case she came back home, they had their new information under their old stuff in the like they paid to keep that in the phone book in New York. So that is oh, that's, that's interesting. Okay. So and then and then I believe Bonnie's parents stayed. But like I said, her mom has Alzheimer's. Um, she developed it in her final years. Um, and she just, she, you know, she, she asked her son if she had any other children and she was told about Bonnie and, and the mom was just like, I don't remember, but that's fine. It's too sad. So I feel I feel for this like the family for in this situation, and you know, it it's not it's not really much you can say because it's so much that is lost. Mm -hmm. Like it's so much time that has lost without these moments. People have gotten married, have their own children, and time passes, but their memory is still there. Like they mattered. And it's just, it's just saying the police completely dropped the ball and really flubbed up this whole case. But I will say, because they still, they're still an open investigation, even though it's a very, it's a frozen case at this point. It ain't even cold. It's chilled. Like, it's frozen. Um, any information, if anybody has any information, past or present, whether you're 50 now or 
95 or if you're 20 and you were talking to your grandmother and she mentioned that she knew Bonnie and Mitchell um, and she saw them at Summer Jam back in 1973, listen, call in. And whether it be an anonymous tip, if you have any information on their disappearance, any information on them, call the Sullivan County Police Department at 845-794-7100. And give them any information, any leads can help because um, we would love to see Bonnie and Mitchell found. We would love to see this this case uh, solved, and for their parents and their for their families to get um, the closure that they deserve because these kids um, will forever be sixteen and fifteen in a lot of people's lives, and. Um, it's, and it's sad to say, but we, we do recognize that I think at, at the very least, they need to be returned home. Yeah. They they need to be returned home. And because mm-hmm. it's understandable that it's, it's a potential that no justice will be found, like because people pass on and they leave and they move and things happen and, and because of how much time, but they need a final resting place. Their families need to say goodbye. Absolutely. I think all parties involved need to rest. Like, you know, I can't imagine if their parents got any rest because they're still to the end of their lives were looking for their children and have no answers, haven't gotten any closer in 50 years. And I just, I, I do, I pray that one day this, this case is solved and they, whether it's, and I feel like it'll probably be more of like, they found items like his camera or they found like a random roll of film with pictures of them on it or they found like some of their belongings or witness statements like people coming forward and being like oh yeah I've seen this I've seen that and then they can piece things together and solve it from there but um somebody's got to have some more information and somebody's got to step up because we didn't have surveillance cameras there were no like traffic cameras and and the amount of technology like you said before cell phones to ping your location here and say okay this was the last known whereabouts of them that we can pick up on so it's really it really is going to take good investigative work and digging and really caring about this case and it seems like everybody who was passed along this case half-assed tried um and then the person who really was like okay i think we got a big lead it led nowhere and no it's passed on to somebody else who seems like he also wants to do a half-ass investigation so hopefully at some point it will get into the hands of a detective who's like no we're gonna solve this thing and or at least we're going to try to open up more leads and, and, and do something but I wish their family nothing but peace and I hope one day that this case is is solved and that Bonnie and Mitch can can finally rest, but they will forever be sweethearts. It's bittersweet. It is a bitter, it's a bitter, bitter, bitter story, but hopefully getting this story out would get some people and keeping their memory alive so that way it doesn't get lost in time. Yep. All right, you guys. So I want to let you know because next week is my week to record uh well to like talk about my case so 
I will be taking that week off because I had to do some more research because I switched my case. Um, I just need an extra week to do that. So it will be the following week. So it won't be the 14th. Um, well, not well, the week of the 14th will be the week of the 21st. We will be recording. So I expect a, a new episode on um uh August 24th. And we love you guys and we will see you in the next one. Bye. Thanks for listening.